While the choir is getting into place, you can turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 9 and 10. I wanted to say, as uh, we get ready to get started this morning, how, what a joy it is for me to be able to be with you uh, this morning. Uh, my family and I have been uh, overwhelmed uh, by your love uh, that you have shown us already. We are grateful for the cards, the texts, the emails, the pictures, the sweet words of welcome, the help during moving day, uh, and and along with the food. We are so grateful for all that. I'm honored uh, to be standing before you today to be called by God to serve as your pastor uh, at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And I would reiterate what I asked uh, of you back in September that uh, we need from you your, your prayers We need your patience with us, but also your partnership in service to our King Jesus. I wanted to uh, just uh, take just a brief second um, and just uh, mention something to you. I don't know if you have been told this this month or not. And Brother Brian, I'm grateful for Brother Brian as he has been a great interim pastor for you over the past little bit. And uh, so thankful for him and his ministry and what God has done through him. But I don't know if uh, he mentioned to you, he may have, that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Now, I can say that right now because I really haven't been your pastor until now, and I'm not expecting anything from me. But I, what I would like for you to do, if you have not shown your appreciation to Brother Andy or to Brother Joe, to be sure that you do that because this church owes those two men a great debt of gratitude. Amen. <clears throat> So take time to thank them and love on them as I know that you already have. Well, as we look at today's message, I was pondering about what I should share with you uh, on this, the first Sunday of being the pastor at Mount Pleasant. And as I was praying about that, the Lord brought to mind a message that I had shared with some churches during revival, as a matter of fact, uh, that I had preached. And as I pulled out that message and began to look over it and began to work on it a little bit, I found that it closely resembled... Uh, exactly where I felt we needed to focus at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So I want to share this with you today. And as we look at this passage, and we're going to look at several other passages as well, we find that all throughout God's Word, His call to the church is there. We find God having a call to the church. And it, it is the same that it's always been, and it is more than I can share in just a few minutes. But the Lord has laid on my heart three areas that I'd like for us to look at uh, this morning. And since it is three areas, there'll be three scripture passages, uh, but we're going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 2, reading just two verses, verse 9 and 10. So if you would, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you would stand as I read these couple of verses for you, if you're able to stand. And the Bible says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for the reading of the word of God this morning. We pray, Father, that you would have your way in every heart and in every life. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us as we break open the word this morning and that you would speak to us that we may hear from you. We pray, Lord, that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would have your way in their hearts, that you draw them to yourself. And those of us who claim the name of Christ, Father, may this be a time of refreshing in our hearts. And dear Lord, may it be a time of renewing our walk with you, renewing our faith, and Lord, saying yes to you all over again, and I an excitement and enthusiasm for you. Lord, may we never forget what you have done for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, may it never get old to us of the blood that was shed for us to wash us and make us white as snow. And Lord, may we always live in the victory of knowing that Jesus died for us and that he rose again bodily from the grave. And Lord, may we live in that victory as well. Thank you for these folks that are here. Lord, may you work in every heart. And we pray, Father, the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we see in this passage in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, we see God's call to the church, and we see here, first off, that he calls us to remember our purpose. To remember our purpose. It tells us here that we are chosen of God, that we are called of God to be the people of God. That we are his own special people who have a purpose. Now, I know that throughout the scripture that as the people of God, we are to to grow in our walk with the Lord. We are to worship, that we are to serve, that we're to be discipled, we're to have fellowship. But our purpose that we see here is that we are to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so what I'd like to look at here is that our purpose as a church is to reflect Jesus Christ through our lives and reveal him through our lips. Did you catch that? And so we are to reflect Jesus Christ through the life in which we are living, but also we are to reveal him to the people around us through the words in which we say. You will hear me say this a lot. Let us meet people where they are and point them to Jesus Christ. So we are to proclaim the praises of him. The word there, proclaim, means to show forth. It means to celebrate. The praises of him is the excellencies of who he is. The excellencies of him. We are to celebrate all that Jesus has done. As Christians, friends, listen, we don't need to walk around like we've been sucking on lemons, amen? We can be joyous and excited because we know we have a risen Savior who has paid the way, who we have assurance, who we have victory. And so as we have that, we praise him and we are to proclaim, to celebrate and show forth the praises of who Jesus is to the people who are around us. Let us live out our faith daily and tell others about what has happened in our lives. We all have a story. Each of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have a story. We say, Pastor, I don't really have a story because uh, I was born into a Christian home. My my parents taught me about Jesus. And so uh, I didn't really ever do anything really bad. I just knew that I needed Christ and he saved me and set me free. And and so therefore, I, I don't really have a testimony or story. Oh, friend, let me tell you, all of us have a story. 
All of us have a testimony because we once were lost and now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see. We may have been good kids, but we were still sinners headed for hell. And Jesus saved us. Amen. And so we can proclaim those praises to the people that we come in contact with. As a matter of fact, I encourage folks to let us see ourselves, all of us as Christians, to see ourselves as missionaries, as right where we are, wherever it is that we are living, wherever we are working, that we see those places where we inhabit, those places where we frequent as our mission field. God has set that mission field in front of us, and our task is to simply meet people right where they are and point them to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ has met us right where we were and brought us out of the darkness and into the light. We were condemned sinners headed for hell under the wrath of God, but now we have been made right with God who is holy, that through, through what Jesus has done for us on the Calvary's cross and at the empty tomb, now we are the people of God who have obtained his mercy and we have forgiveness, we have eternal life, and we have the assurance of heaven through Jesus Christ and through him alone. God has called the church. And that, as we talk about the church, that's each of us individually as the church, that makes up the church. We are called to be a living, working, serving, loving, obedient, faithful people of God that proclaims the truth and lives the truth and makes a difference by being the salt and light in the world around us. We're reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 uh, through 16, when he talked about the salt and the, and the light. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so God has called us, church, to be the church. He has called us to be different from the rest of the world, but also to make a difference in this world. And you can make a difference as you point people to Jesus by being the salt. In verse 13, he said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. So we are to flavor the world with what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When people see you living your life, when they hear the words and what you are saying, they need to see and hear in you what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? If we're going to be calling ourselves Christians, that means we're followers of Christ, then we need to be acting like Christ followers. Amen? And talking about Jesus to the people who are around us. Our actions and our attitudes are to be the attitudes of Jesus. Our actions are to exemplify those of Jesus Christ. We are to be salty saints in a very sick and sinful society. And if we fail to be salty, if we fail to be different, then Jesus has some pretty harsh words for us. He says, therefore, you are good for nothing. That's what he says, amen? That's what he says. 
So we need to remember our purpose is to be salty. It is to be different and to make a difference and to flavor the world with Christ. But also remember our purpose is to be not only salt, but to be lights there in verses 14 through 16. He talks about being the light of the world, the city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp put under a basket, but rather set it on a lampstand that gives light to all who are in the house. And so we are to be visible lights in a world of darkness. We are to be visible lights to light the way for those who are lost, those who are searching. We're to point people to the truth, Jesus Christ. And so our purpose is to let our faith in Jesus Christ be visible to the people who are around us and those who are around the world. God has called us to be lights to people, to help be that light in the darkness, uh, to point people uh, to Jesus Christ and to show them the way because people need to know about Jesus Christ. We must individually celebrate the excellencies of our Savior, proclaim the praises of him to this world, being courageous to be the salt and the light, but also let us as a church at Mount Pleasant do all that we can collectively to meet people wherever they are and point them to Jesus Christ right here in the Colonial Heights, Chester, Chesterfield, Petersburg area. We need to be pointing people to Jesus. Also, all throughout Virginia, we should be about that business In all of North America, we should be about that business. And internationally, we should be about the business of doing everything we can as a church and as individuals to meet people where they are and to point them to Jesus Christ. Friends, let us be the church that God has called us to be, being the church that remembers its purpose, which is to point people to Jesus Christ. You know, when many people look at churches in America today, Many people in the world look at us as churches. They often get contrasting views of what they see. Some people look at the church today and they see a church that is embracing the culture. Some people say, uh, see the church and they see a church that is compromising the truth, compromising the word. Some people will take a look at the church today and they will see this church that is some squishy, feel-good, prosperity gospel church. But friends, let me just submit to you today that when people, when the world looks at us at Mount Pleasant, let them see a people who loves Jesus Christ first, who are unified together as the people of God, who are standing firm on the truth of the word of God, that are worshiping the Lord together, that are lifting up Jesus, that are discipling the saints, that are loving the lost, and that are pointing them to Jesus Christ. When the world looks at us, let them see that at Mount Pleasant. Amen? That's what they need to see. Let us remember our purpose. Secondly, not only do we need to remember our purpose, we need to return to the power. We need to return to the power. Now, we may have the desire to make a difference in the world that is around us. And we may even go, we may preach, we may serve, we may teach, may we work as salt and light. But friends, listen, we cannot accomplish much if we are not going in the power of God. We're not going to accomplish much if we're not going in his power. In John chapter 15, if you'll flip over there real quick, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. It's also on the screen there, I believe, in a moment. But it says, and Jesus said here in the gospel of John, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do a little bit. Is that what it says? For without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing apart from him. We also know Acts 1.8 tells us, Jesus said, after he had resurrected from the dead, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so here's the deal. As the Holy Spirit lives within us as believers, we have the power, the resurrection power, the power of God to be living witnesses. We have the power dwelling within us to be salt and to be light. We have the resurrection power to be used by God for his glory. As the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers, he empowers us and he gives us the gifts that we need for ministry in the church and to meet people where they are and to point them to Jesus outside of the church. You know, we often think that we are to do things in our own strength and our own power. But when we, listen, when we rely on our own strength and we begin to rely on our own power, it will not be long before we are discouraged, we are disheartened, and we will want to quit even before we get started good. God is calling us, church, to remember our purpose, but also to return to the power. You see, as believers, the power is already there. We just need to connect with the source of that power, Jesus Christ. And we do so by abiding in him, dwelling in him, spending time in a relationship with him through prayer, through studying the word, through worship. You know, as we think about prayer, Corey Ten Boom, I'm sure you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. She once asked the question about prayer. She said, is prayer more like a spare tire to you or a steering wheel. What is prayer to you? Is it more like a spare tire? Or is prayer more like a steering wheel? In other words, do we pull out prayer only in cases of emergencies? Or is it the method by which we come before the Lord daily, seeking counsel, seeking guidance, seeking his leadership, and by so doing, we will grow in our relationship with Jesus, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we will live in the power of God. The source of the power to make a difference in the, in the world is not us. It is Jesus. If we're going to make a difference in the world around us, if we're going to make a difference in the world in which you live and which I live now, if we're going to make a difference in Colonial Heights and Chester and Chesterfield, if we're going to make a difference wherever you are, wherever you work, then friends, listen, we must depend upon him. Not us. We must depend upon him and his strength, not our strength. The power is available to us. We just need to connect with the source, Jesus Christ. I was looking through some uh, old notes and I came across a story about a missionary who told that as he was a new missionary, his name is Herbert Jackson. As a new missionary, he was assigned a car, this was years ago, that would not start without a push. After pondering his problem, he devised a plan. 
He went to the school near his home and got permission to take some children out of class and had them push his car off. And as he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or he would leave the engine running. And he used that ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced Jackson, the Jackson family to leave the mission field. A new missionary came to the station before he left. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car to start, the new man began looking under the hood. And before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted, Why, Dr. Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. So he gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. For two years, for two years, he had been going through this process of just pushing off the car or, or keeping it running or letting it idle or whatever. These two years, this needless trouble had become routine. The problem was that the power was there all the time. Only a loose connection is what kept Jackson from putting that power to work. J.B. Phillips paraphrases Ephesians 1, 19, 20 this way. He says, how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God when we make firm our connection with God, his life and power flow through us. Friends, that we have the power. It's the resurrection power that's not ours, but is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We need to simply connect with the Lord. Spend time with him. Let us depend on Jesus. Because let me just tell you, we need him. Are you with me? We need Jesus. And let me just be transparent with you. I need Jesus. I cannot pastor without Jesus. I cannot preach without Jesus. Let me tell you, I cannot be a disciple without Jesus. I cannot live the life without him. I cannot be the husband that God wants me to be without Jesus. I can't be the daddy or the granddaddy, praise God, without Jesus. Amen? Every part of my life, I need Jesus. Apart from him, remember what he said? Apart from him, we can do nothing. But abiding in him, we will bear much fruit. Abiding in Christ, we will bear much fruit as believers and as the church. We are to remember our purpose and we are to return to the power. Now, some may say, well, pastor, I understand what our purpose is, that we're to meet people where they are, point them to Jesus. I realize the Lord Jesus is the vine and I'm the branch and that through him, that we will accomplish much for the kingdom. But pastor, here's the deal. You know what, pastor? I am just too busy to worry about all that. I'm too busy to serve. I'm too busy to tell people about the Lord. I'm too busy to live that out in front of people. I just have got so much on me all the time. I'm just focused on life and focused on these things. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not that you're too busy. It's that you would say, well, pastor, you know, I understand all that, but I'm just... It's just not comfortable for me to serve the Lord here, there, or wherever. It's not comfortable for me to invite somebody to church. It's not comfortable for me to live that out in front of people. It's just not comfortable. Or maybe someone would say, well, you know, I used to do that a long time ago, but truthfully, Pastor, I just am not interested anymore. I just don't want to do it. Or maybe it would be someone who would say, well, you know, Pastor, yeah, I understand I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to 
point people to Jesus. I know that you're the vine, that the pastor, that the, Jesus is the vine and I'm the branch. But pastor, you know, here's the truth, pastor. People have hurt my feelings. And I just won't do this thing anymore, making a difference. I just won't do that anymore. My friends, hear me. If that's you in any of those situations, or maybe I didn't touch your scenario, then hear God's call to you this morning, this third thing. Let us hear God's call for the church that we reclaim the passion. Let us reclaim the passion. You know what? We are all a passionate people. We're passionate about something. All of us are passionate about something. Some of us are passionate about food. Amen? I mean, we can, we can get in a group of people, and it won't be long before we'll talk about something that will eventually move to where's the best place to eat. Have you tried that new place down the road? Right? We're passionate about food. Sometimes it, maybe it's not food. Maybe it is sports. Maybe, there's, maybe it's the golf, the golf game. Maybe it's a, a team that we really like. You know, I, I, I like sports. I have anything wrong with sports. But, but there's only one really sports thing that I really enjoy, and it comes around March. It's called March Madness. I love to watch March Madness. And I know that I probably, it's never safe to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I love, there's only one devil that I like, and he's blue, all right? He's the blue devils. The Duke Blue Devils, I've been watching them for years and years and years. I love to watch them at college basketball time. And I'm passionate about watching them. And I've even got my kids on it for the most part. But usually, you know, we're watching TV, March Madness, and, and, and I'm real good about, you know, just whatever. But if they're in front of the TV when I'm trying to see a, a game, I'll say, look, y'all need to just go take this somewhere else, you know, because I need to see what's happening here. So I'm passionate about that. So we're all passionate about different games, different things. Maybe it's a hobby that we have, something my wife loves to quilt. She loves to craft, and she's a crafty kind of person. But uh, maybe it's, maybe it's some, uh, a work that we do. But we're passionate about something, all of us have some kind of passion in life, something that we like to do. But too often, and all those passions are fine, but too often we as Christians have lost our main passion for Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? God is calling us today, Mount Pleasant, to reclaim that passion for him. We must come back to that passion. Too often, I'm afraid that the church today in America and the people of the church are too much like the religious leaders that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I'm reminded of the young fella who sent a text or letter to Uh, this young girl that he was dating or courting. And he was trying to tell this young lady how much he loved her. And so he wrote this text or this letter. He said, honey, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim the deepest river for you. I would cross the widest sea for you. I would cross the burning desert for you. Signed, your loving darling. But then he added this P.S. He said, By the way, if it doesn't rain next Wednesday, I'll come by to see you. (laughs) You see, friends, too often we are like that. We draw near to Jesus with our mouths, but 
and we honor him with our lips, but our heart is far, far from him. We are not committed. We have misplaced our passion. We have left our first love. It's hard for us to, to fathom, but I think it's true many times. Because we're so busy with life, we have our agendas, we have our calendars, we have our routines, and we just have lost that first love, that passion for Jesus. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus rebukes the church at Ephesus because they too had left their first love. Now, they look like a great church. They were a hardworking church. They were doctrinally pure and according to Jesus, they are These are all good things and very important. But Jesus says that there's something missing here, and that is that they had left their first love. They were missing the passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, listen, God is calling the church today to reclaim that passion for Jesus Christ so that we'll be effective in this world as the church. You know, we can easily go through all the motions in the church. But if we leave the passion for Jesus, if we don't have a fervent love for him, then the church really is nothing more than a lifeless religious organization that has no power, that has no feeling, and has no witness. Did you catch all that? If we lose our love for Jesus, if we do not have a passion for Jesus Christ, then we are just a lifeless religious organization that has no power, that has no feeling, and has no witness. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, as Jesus often did, when he told the church here what their problem was, he then gave them the remedy. And just as I believe he's calling the church today to reclaim that passion... He tells us what we need to do to come back to that. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So he is saying to the church at Ephesus to to reclaim that passion for him, to reclaim that passion for Jesus Christ. We must do what he says. Three real quick things. One, we are to remember, then we are to repent, and then we are to repeat. All right? Remember first. Remember from where we have fallen. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Do you remember what it was like to have that passion for Jesus. Do you remember what it was to have that first love of him? Do you remember what it was to have that passion for him? Do you remember that first zeal that you had as you came to know Christ as Savior, as he saved your soul? Do you remember that excitement that once gripped your heart for Christ as you realized his grace for you, his love for you, and how he died for you and rose again for you? Do you remember what it felt like to know that you were right with holy God, finally, that that thing which had been missing in your life was now filled and you've been satisfied? Do you remember that overflowing love, that joy, that peace, that assurance? Don't you want to reclaim that, church? Have you allowed Satan to steal your joy? 
because he is out to do that. The devil wants to steal your joy. Let us remember from where we've fallen and then repent. We must be grieved and ashamed that we have left our first love. When we recognize that we're not what we need to be, that we don't have a passion for Christ like we need to have, that he desires for us to have, then friends, we have sinned against God. And we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry that I am not where I need to be. We need to say, Lord, I am sorry that I have left my love for you and I put other things before you. We need to say, Lord, I am sorry that I don't have that passion for you that I once had. And we, we, we repent. We must repent and turn, being sorry and turning back to him so that times of refreshing may come upon us. And then we must repeat, do the first works. Do the first works. Repeat those first works. In other words, strive to pray as earnestly and live as diligently as when we first began to walk with the Lord. To seek to hear his voice as, as you read his word and as you worship him. Let us proclaim the praises of him and point others to him. As we remember what took place in our lives, we couldn't help but to tell people about what Jesus has done. And people saw us and saw that there's something different about us. There was a now uh, something about us that, 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 that just said victory, that said assurance. Let us proclaim that to people. And commit ourselves to being obedient to the call that he has on our lives. Let us today, friends, listen, let us reclaim the passion for Jesus Christ. Not my agenda, Jesus. Not my way, Jesus. Not my comfort, Jesus. Not my desires, Jesus. I want Jesus to be the passion of my heart and of my life. How about you? Let me just ask you, what or who is your passion today? Come to Jesus and find that he is our everything, isn't he? He is our satisfaction. He is our delight. He is our rock our refuge, our redeemer. He is our everything. What are you clinging to? What are you clinging to today that is keeping you from the freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ? I came across this little illustration. A little child one day was playing with a very valuable vase. You know how kids will do And he was curious about what was in there. He put his hand into the vase and he couldn't pull it out. His father, knowing this is a very valuable vase, they tried everything they could to get his hand out of the vase. Everything possible, you know, with the the oil around the the wrist and, you know, twisting it this way, twisting that. They They were even thinking about breaking the vase. But it was very valuable when the father said, "Now, now, my son, let's just try one more thing. He said, and he began to motion with the son and show him through the dad's hand, open your hand and hold your fingers out straight as you see me doing and then pull. To their astonishment, the little fellow said, oh no, dad, I I couldn't put my fingers out like that because if I do that, I'll drop my penny. (laughs) Thousands of us are like that little boy. So desperately busy holding on to this world's worthless penny 
that we cannot accept the freedom that we can have in Jesus Christ. This morning, friend, I don't know what you're holding on to, but I beg you to drop whatever you think the world has to offer. Let it go in your heart and surrender to Jesus and let him have his way in your life. And when you do, you will find real, genuine, true freedom. Amen? Only through Christ. Let us reclaim that passion for Jesus because he is our everything and we need him. We need him. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you can with a simple step of faith. The S of a step is to admit that we're sinners in need of a savior. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're not holy enough, good enough to get into the presence of God outside of a Savior. We must, and Jesus is that Savior. The T of step is that we are to turn. Turn from sin and turn to Jesus. That's repentance. The Bible says in Acts 3.9, to repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So we acknowledge that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We say, Lord, I'm sorry for all of my sin and I turn to you and I turn from that sin. And in the midst of that, we, the E is that we embrace or we believe that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross, rose again bodily from the grave. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And as we... Uh, turn from our sin, turn, uh, as we acknowledge we're sinners in need of a Savior, turn from our sin, turn to Jesus, embracing, believing that God is uh, the Son, that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, died on the cross, rose again, then we also profess Him as the Lord of our life, saying, yes, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Romans ten thirteen says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you've never taken that step of faith, trusting Christ to save you, as we have our invitation, we invite you to come. We'll be glad to pray with you. Christian, let me encourage you this morning. Where are you in this whole scheme of things of God's call to the church? Do you need to remember your purpose? Do you need to return to the power? Do you need to reclaim the passion? Why not today say, Lord, I surrender it all to you and I want to be your child and I want to love you more. And I want to have a greater passion for you, to live for you, to be with you, to abide in you, to point people to you. Only he is able to give us that freedom. Only he is to be our everything. Do you know him today? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us and you have provided the way for us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those here today that don't know Christ, that this will be the the moment that they'll say, yes, I want to invite Jesus into my life, and they'll come and receive Christ as Savior. We also pray, Father, that those of us who are Christians, who just need to have a renewed passion for you, Lord, to to remember that purpose that you've set apart for us, whatever the case may be, Lord, to return to that power. Lord, may you be with us all over this place that we'll just say, I want to recommit my life to the Lord. I want to follow him faithfully. I want to be obedient to everything he wants me to do. And I want to love him more 
today than yesterday and tomorrow more than today. Lord, help us, I pray. Be with us in this invitation, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.